The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. that song have not heard that in a while that's a classic song of expressing our need for god to be king overall in our lives as we do well if you're joining us on our live stream we especially want to welcome you thank you for being with us if you're a visitor on the live stream especially uh, if you don't know jesus we'd love to talk to you about that uh, for those folks in uh, side and outside right now uh, i just want to pray for one of our churches this morning um, this is a church run by Pastor Wesley Vance. We started about the same time in 2015 at our respective churches 
Um, and so Wesley and I have always kind of counted our our friendship based on our anniversary dates at, at, at the churches here. So Wesley's been there about six or seven years now, and and he, I said, brother, how can we pray for you? Um, they have, and this is what he said. I'm just going to read it because his words are better than mine. He said, thank your congregation for praying for us. Uh, I'd like you to pray for Cameron. He's a man that our church has been witnessing to, and he believes that you have to be good enough to go to heaven. Would you just simply pray that he comes to know Jesus Christ? And we also are reaching out to two neighborhoods, he says, uh, Thousand Oaks and Chapel Ridge, which is kind of by the Berry Road area, and he said, pray for them to come to know Jesus as well. So we're going to pray for a young man, Cameron. Uh, no relation to anyone within our church ranks. Uh, we do have a couple Camerons linked to our church at various points of time, but no one like that. We're going to pray for this young man. This is what churches do. They pray for people to come to know Christ. So as you bow your heads with me now, we're going to go before the Lord, and we're going to pray for him, pray for Fellowship Kansas City and Pastor Wesley Vance. Let's go before our Lord this morning. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather. For most of us watching this or hearing the voice right now, we know it's just kind of a dreary day. We lost an hour of sleep. Father, it's, it's taken everything we have just to wake up this morning and keep moving. But we thank you, Lord. We do bring many things to you, but we want to bring our ultimate praise because, Lord, you've given us, again, your ultimate gift, which is your son. Father, we pray for our sister church, Fellowship Kansas City, and Pastor Wesley as he leads the church, Lord, especially in reaching this young man, Cameron, who has uh, been self-deluded to think that somehow he, by his his strength, his, his uh, goodness, his sincerity, his integrity, or whatever it is, can muster his way to heaven. Father, thank you that the Bible is very clear that all our good deeds are like filthy rags, and there's none who do good, no, not even one. Yet, Father, you told us that even though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you so much. We pray for him that he would be converted, he'd be saved, he'd be radically brought to know Jesus Christ. We pray for our sister church, too, as they look to reach out to a couple neighborhoods in their area. Father, be lifted high as they do so, and may you be glorified. Father, we pray for our church here. We pray for those in our families, those in our neighborhood, Lord, several who heard the gospel this last week, that, that they would come to know Christ as well. Father, thank you for sending your son. Give us wisdom now. Father, all the offerings that are collected online and offline are yours. We pray that they are used for the furtherment of your kingdom. And Father, we pray this morning, the location, the names don't matter. Our church folks know who they are. But Father, we thank you for the giving that especially blessed those members within our ranks who are, who are not local to us at this time. Thank you for using that to train up pastors and churches and encourage families uh, of that place of which they serve. Thank you so much, Lord. We pray all this today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. All right, well, you have your Bible this morning, and if you are open to Nehemiah 11 and 12, you've probably looked at that and thought, whew, how much time do we have on our hands? Well, we have all day. That's not a problem. The question is, is what are we going to do with the text before us? And this is our second to last uh, sermon on the book of Nehemiah. We will be doing 11 and 12 this morning. We are not going to be reading all the names this morning. We'll get to that in a minute. But we will be finishing up next week uh, in chapter 13. And then from there on, um, I guess it'd be, what is today, the 14th, on the 28th, Pastor Nelson will be preaching uh, as we prepare our hearts uh, for the calendar version of the Resurrection Day. But something we celebrate all the time is, is Christ coming and dying for us as well. So we're going to start at chapter 11. This is the 10th installment of A Story of New Beginnings. We're going to read verses 1 through 4, and we're going to skip around a little bit there. So this is God's Word. This is not pundits. This is not politics. This is not policy. This is God's Word. Let that sink in our souls this morning. 
Chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, and then we'll skip around as we do. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring out one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Verse 3, these are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property. In their towns, Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And we'll summarize this a little bit here. Uh, if you, It's going to list the sons of Judah, the sons of Benjamin. Uh, down in verses 10 through 14, it'll list the priests. And I wrote notes for this, by the way, because I need reminders. The Levites in verse 15, the gatekeepers in verse 19, the leaders in verse 22, and we're going to pick it up in, in uh, chapter 11, verse 25. And we go down. And as for the villages with their fields, some of the people in Judah lived in Karath Arabah and its villages and in Debon and its villages. Why is that important? Because these cities were now being occupied. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Skip to chapter 12. You ready? Chapter 12, verse 1. These are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, of Jeshua, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra. And we stop right there. Some of you really want me to read these names. It's not going to happen this morning. And all the priests and Levites go down to verse 12. And you see verse 12, and I'll just read that, in the days of Joachim were the priests, the heads of the father's houses, Sariah, Moriah, Jeremiah, Hananiah. Stop right there. He's going to list all the father's houses. Go down to verse 22, and it says this. In the days of uh, chapter 12, verse 22, Elshiab, Joadiah, Johanan, and Jodah, I can't say his name, the Levites were recorded. So the heads of the father's houses, so too were the priests in the reign of Darius the Persian. All right, so he's going to list the Levites according to the heads of their homes, we're going to go down to verse 27, and we're going to read through. You ready? Verse 27, chapter 12. And at the dedication of the wall, Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate with dedication, with gladness, with thanksgiving and singing, and with cymbals and harps and lyres. Verse 28. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophilites and from Geth-Gilgal and from the region of Geba, and Asmathath, from the singers, he built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. Verse 30. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the walls. Then I, verse 31, this is Nehemiah, brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and verse 35, and certain of the priests with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of jo Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Metaniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur. And we go down to verse 30, at the end of verse 36, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra the scribe went before them. Verse 37, and at the fountain gate, they went straight up before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall and above the house of David to the water gate to the east. But the other choir... Of those who I gave thanks went to the north, and I followed with them half the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall. Verse 39, and the, above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshenai and by the fish gate, and we're going to skip down to verse 40. 
So both of the choirs who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half the officials were with me. Verse 43, and they offered great sacrifices that day, and they rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Note that verse. That's four joys, by the way. Verse 44, on that day, men were appointed over the storehouses, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. Verse 45, and they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers. There were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And verse 47, all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart, which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart, which was for the sons of Aaron. There is a pop quiz with all those names after church today, just so you know. I'm just kidding. These names matter but more so how they handled what was in front of them mattered today. And what we're going to look at after I pray what this means. Will you bow your heads with me? We've heard the word of God this morning. Father, as we read through these names and what they did, we just think this is just a list of achievements, and indeed so. But their hearts were in a, in a pattern before you, Lord, as they sought to do these things. May our hearts be the same. Father, give us wisdom now. May your spirit illumine our hearts as we do these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Now, many years ago in Detroit, if you were there, Detroit used to be a happening place. Some of you remember Motown and all the singers back then. If you're nodding your head, you're showing your A. I'm just kidding. Um, but yes, Jeff Jones, I see you back there. But you know that with, in Detroit now, if you were to go in urban inner city Detroit, it's going back to somewhat normality, but there are mostly boarded up windows, boarded up things. Kansas City had that happen before, if you remember. Kansas City, about 20, 30 years ago, you did not go downtown unless you worked downtown. You had no reason to go down there because the place became a ghost town. So too with other cities in, in history, Thebes and Carthage and Ephesus and Xanadu. You forgot what those places were like, didn't you? Because they existed at one time and they no longer did. And Jerusalem faced a similar problem. The walls had been rebuilt. There's now protection around the city, but the city itself was now empty. But the good news is, is that often as things happen, there's nothing that sin has uprooted that grace isn't able to replant, and there's nothing that sin has torn down that grace isn't able to rebuild. This city is in ruins, and nobody wants to live there. Nobody wants to go there. No one wants to raise their family there. Sound familiar in some of our parts of our city? Yet God called them there. This is the holy city. This is the place God said to go to, and yet here we are. 1 Peter 2.5 tells us this, is that we are living stones and God is the building and is building us into his holy temple. We don't have to live in a physical city anymore, but God commands us even today that we should be a people that go where the other people of God are together so that we can bring praise to him. Why did they flee? They fled the city because there was no protection. They fled because no one wanted to live there. I mean, look, if you want to buy a nice house, Go to a place around the country where it's all run down, and you can get a pretty decent house, but you might be putting up with other things as you go and live there. But these people had to make a decision. Am I all in for what God said, or am I all out for my own comfort? And these are things we have to take into consideration. I mean, how do we make sure that all our life, not just our Sunday life, is about God, 
What do we do when no one wants to lead out and take that first step? That's what we're going to answer today. Because we will never be satisfied trying to fit God into the corners of our life. We always were created for so much more. Do you realize that? This culture. Pastor Nelson read the, the, the verses from Philippians. Everything in this world is dung. It's, it's, it's worthless. And in, in the end, all that matters is this. Have we lived our lives for God or have we lived our lives for our own comfort? This morning, I want to see three areas that they gave to God and we do too. Their lives, their praise, and their goods. Their lives, their praise, and their goods. That's pretty simple to follow as we do. Let's look at that first one. We are to give our lives to God. Look back at chapter 11, verse 1. You saw that the leaders of the people moved into Jerusalem. How do you know when someone's a good leader? They take the first step. But now they're casting lots. Now, we're Baptists. We don't gamble, or at least we shouldn't. Gambling is an offense to God. It, gives, it goes against his very uh, nature to provide. That's, not, that's a big elephant in most Baptist churches. Look, gambling, now you can get in all the specifics. Well, I gamble every time I, I get in my car. Well, that's not what we're talking about here. They took some dice-type things, and they threw them out there, if you will, and they decided who would join them. Only one out of ten families had to go, and those families had to move into the city. But they cast lots, and they, they left it in God's providence, and they gave it, think about this for a second, they cast lots at Jesus, you remember this? They cast lots at Jesus' clothes, you remember that part? Do you remember how they decided in Acts chapter 1 to replace Judas? They cast lots. Sometimes when you don't know what to do, this is what they did to figure it out. They basically tossed a coin in, in a modern-day vernacular. But it's no easy move to go inside the city. But they knew their lives were not their own. Look at verse 2. These men willingly offered to go to Jerusalem. If you're an underliner, again, underline that verse. Verse 2, they willingly offered their lives. They willingly. They yielded themselves to God. And I wonder if this happened in churches today, what would happen in our world. It's not just any old movement where people of God were willing to consider and entertain the things of God. Most people today, if you said, hey, God's calling you over here, how would you do this? But I want to remind you that our church that was revitalized 20 years ago still has what were called seed families back then. We have the Nisleys, we have the Kimbrels, we have others in our church who said, I'm not going to stay at the main church, I'm going to go help this other church over here. And we're here today mainly because of that type of leadership. But when we look to move somewhere, when we look to go somewhere, when we look to bring our lives before God, our biggest question isn't, where can I best serve the Lord? It's, how are the schools? How are the parks? What kind of restaurants do they have? Are their sports teams any good? Do they have good housing? Is there good recreation? Is there weather? What about, is it close to family? And let's be honest, those are honest questions and answers, and we need to consider those things. But I think so much of what you see here, they didn't let God just be a part of their lives. They said, you know what? I'm going to ask the question, where is the best place I can serve the Lord? What if we did that today? What if we had individuals who won't leave because God won't let them? There's an opposite side of this. There are some people who need to stay where God has put them, and there are some people who need to go where God has been calling them for years. They just haven't accepted that call. And I'm not just talking overseas. If God's called you overseas, by all means, get on that plane, that boat, that whatever, and go. But what if couples in our churches decided, I'm speaking broadly here, but what if couples in our churches decided to give their life overseas instead of trying to build their 401k? And there's nothing wrong with, with saving for retirement. 
What if young families were more about church, serving the church where they're at than trying to find a place that best meet their kids' needs? Oh, how that would change things. What if a young person gave two years of their life to a church plant or somewhere on the mission field willingly like these people? How we would be changed. We got a letter yesterday in the mail. It was from a Jehovah's Witness gentleman in our neighborhood. Maybe you did too. They're starting to hand write. Uh, well, they're starting to print it and sign it. But, but this man wrote a very sincere note on there. He said, I see that you're a pastor, and I know this, but I want to contact you about the Jehovah's Witnesses. They are more willing to knock on doors and write letters than most Christians are willing to go next door where God may call them to, to speak the gospel. But these people gave all their lives to God willingly. Nehemiah lists all the names of the people. I mean, it seems boring to us, but the, and we skipped a lot of them, but what he's doing is he's saying, look, these people were willing to do whatever it took to get back into that city of God because God was promising them, and we've said this before, through the city, through you people, this would be where the gospel would be shared, where Jesus would eventually die. So Christian, I have a question for you this morning. And I'm not asking you to move overseas. Maybe God is. But have you considered where God may be calling you physically? Where may God may be calling you to serve physically in this church, even in a pandemic? These people didn't have all their I's dotted and their T's crossed with everything, but they said, I'm willing to go do it. And did you notice what happened here? It says very clearly, God blessed them. The people blessed them as they went. And they, everyone had lived on their own property. Wouldn't it be hard to give up something great to go serve God? That's a hard thing to do. But I want to remind you this morning that God never forgets your name. If you're a Christian today, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And guess what? Everything else you do for the kingdom of God is also written by your name in the Lamb's book of life. How will the rewards work in heaven? We have no idea, honestly. But we know we're going to give them all back to God eventually. But wouldn't you rather hear, well done, good and faithful servant, than well done, you, you person who is more comfortable than you were radical for Jesus Christ, whatever that means for you. Look, all we give to God is recognized and not forgotten, and that's why these names are here. They gave their lives to God. May we pray for wisdom. Lord, where is it? Who is it? To whom is it that we would do our job for you? Second thing they did, they not only gave their lives to God, they also gave their praise to God. This is going to make Pastor Craig happy because we're talking about worship here. But all these people gathered together to give praise. They got going in chapter 12. We're skipping back to chapter 12 now. We'll, we'll be in there the rest of our time. Chapter 12, they had two choirs. Did you notice that? Choirs are a dying thing in churches today. Our church hasn't had that, that for uh, several years. Uh, the only church I know that still has a choir is the one uh, I came from, Pastor Craig came from, uh, in Independence. And that's a fine thing. But churches do not have choirs these days as they used to. But they decided to start praising God. And now they're going to worship to his glory. They're going to praise God for their new walls. They're going to praise God for the revitalization. They're going to praise God for the revival going on. But we read in there the Levites had to purify themselves. The leaders had to purify themselves. They had to get to a point now where the leaders were ready to go before the Lord. And to do that, they had to abstain from lots of things. They had to abstain from marital relations. They had to abstain from food. They had to abstain from a lot of things. But the choirs are assembled. Ezra, the priest, on one side. Nehemiah, uh, the administrative uh, political pastor type leader on the other. Ezra marches this way. Nehemiah marches this way. It's a parade on the wall. And do you know what they're doing? They're rubbing the, the, their noses into a guy. Do you remember this guy, Tobiah? 
Nehemiah chapter 4, you remember what Tobiah said? He said, if a fox goes up on that wall, will he not break down the wall? Isn't it great when God's people just, just shove it back in the face of Satan and say, shut up, Satan. Stop it. We got this. And they're not just singing. They're walking and they're praising God as they do it. How many people were there? Probably about 10,000 people, maybe five on each side and five on that side, going before the Lord. What a scene that was. Can you imagine what a scene that was? They're walking on the wall, and guess what? It didn't break. They had good engineers, apparently. Uh, they had some uh, good folks doing that. Three things about their praise is they're praising God. First, praise is centered on God's people singing. They had instruments to play. We noticed that at the early part of chapter 12. They brought lyres. They brought harps. They brought all sorts of things before them. And uh, chapter 12, excuse me, at uh, verses 27 and following, they brought all those things in, the cymbals and lyres. But the purpose of instruments is not to drown out people. In churches today, often the instruments are the focal point of worship. But guys, I'm here to tell you it is the, your voice, it is my voice, our voice together that is what we are to praise God with. Instruments are there to support. When the instruments become the show or the focal point, it ceases to be worship because that is the focal point. God doesn't say bring a nice playing instrument to me and there's nothing wrong with that. He says to raise your voice. Now, we sing weird like we do. Other religions have where they don't sing. They'll chant. They'll pay professional singers. The Mormons do this with their tabernacle choir. But do you know the expectation? A great reminder this morning, mask and all included, is for us to sing loudly to our God. But Lord, I don't sing very well. Well, sing full-throated with all that you are, and you'll sing like the rest of us because we all sound the same way. If you sing at the top of your lungs, even if you can't sing well, you're making your joyful noise to the Lord. Amen? And that is the truth. This is what they did. They gave their lives to God. They gave their praise to God. And if all you have to do is to make a noise, then you do make that noise. It doesn't matter what you sound like. All he says is sing praise to God. I can recall at one church we served, there was always a man every week who would stand up with his arms crossed, and he would look like death. You could never, we know that man was saved, and he was a strong Christian, but boy, you could never get him to lip anything. Look, it's okay to sing, and it looks a little different these days, but they sang because they wanted to give their praise to God. But notice verse 45. Verse 45, they not only gave their praise to God with their lips, but they also sang according to the word of God. Verse 45 it says, and they performed the service of the purification as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. Look, they were worshiping God how God directed them to in the scripture. Their worship was regulated by the word of God. Psalm 48 says this, David wrote this, he says, walk about Zion and go about her, number her towers, number her ramparts and her citadels, and remind the next generation that this is our God our God forever and ever, and he will guide us forever, Psalm 48, 12 through 14. So many churches and engaging people go outside the bounds of Scripture where that becomes, again, the focal point, and when you what you lead someone to, to Christ, is what you have to keep them to in Christ. If our worship is so set up on the experience and the performance and everything else, we lose the point of what worship is all about. But notice what they're singing here. This will make my friend Brian, who preached here long ago, happy. What were they singing? They were singing the Psalms, absolutely. Now, we are Baptists, 
but we do need to inclusively sing psalms as songs. Say that five times past. Psalms as songs, but not exclusively. I think that's a great failing of many Baptists today. We forget that to sing the word of God is actually a command. Calvin said it this way. He said, quote, the psalms are the anatomy of the soul, end quote. If you want to find every feel, you want to find every thought, you want to find every struggle and triumph, go to the psalms. And as I, you and I sing the psalms, we express this going in and coming out. And as they're up on this wall singing and praising God, they're not just singing some random words. They're literally singing probably uh, Psalm 48, 12 through 14. Friends, if you don't know what to sing, uh, I, don't, I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this, but uh, sometimes I, I hear Pastor Nelson in his office just singing. And he's often just singing the word of God. He might be off tune a little bit, but he's, he's definitely a more on tune than I ever am. But he sings the word of God. And that's encouraging. Because I know that in his heart, he's wanting to praise God no matter what. And I appreciate that about our pastor. Because no matter what's facing him, he can always sing. And that's hard to do. But they sang because that's what God's word said. They sang because they wanted to lift their voices. They want to praise God. The last mark of their praise I want you to see is joy. Ooh, did you mark down this verse? Verse 40, I think it's verse 43. I believe it was. Verse 43, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God made them rejoice with great joy. And they also rejoiced and the joy of Jerusalem was, was far away heard, was heard far away. That's quite a change. Because if we were studying Ezra chapter 3, when the old men and women came back from far away and saw the ruins of Jerusalem, this is what it says in Ezra 3, those who had seen the first part of the house of Jerusalem wept because it was no longer how they remembered. You know what? Even these old people who remembered the good old days of ministry in Jerusalem were singing with joy. Church, let me just say a word to us today. It is, this is marks the one year anniversary of our last quote unquote normal service we had in our building one year ago this Sunday. So many of us, and I've been caught up in this too, have said, well, I, I, I just can't worship God until it goes back to the way it was. I think that there's something that they show us here. They had all new walls, they had all new paint. I don't know if they painted, they had all new everything. And that didn't let them stop being joyful for God. Don't let COVID or regulations or things we do or don't do keep you from worshiping God. I mean, isn't that what we're told to do? Isn't that what we're told to do in Philippians chapter 4? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Oh, you all know that song. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. Again, I say We used to sing that almost every Sunday at the home church I grew up in. It used to drive me nuts. But I love it because it teaches us to remember what's important. When you come to worship, there is a part of lamenting. There's a part of having sorrow. There's a part uh, of, of remembering our sin. But this whole nation had gathered, and, and they basically said, we're not going to let what is before us take us away from worshiping God joyfully. We want it to be about Him. Look, you come to worship. You bring your baggage. You bring your junk. You bring your sin. You lay it at God's feet, and you worship joyfully. Even sometimes, if you have to grit your teeth to do it, you worship joyfully because it's a command. And this is a picture of all of us as we're gathered in worship, how we should be. This is what the reformers said. They said, after darkness, light. 
When darkness comes, God always brings the light. Darkness is always followed by light. It cannot win. And Christian, let me remind you that on that cross, Jesus said, it is finished. The job is done. It is, the sacrifice has been made. We have every reason to rejoice in these days. Every reason. And if you're watching or hearing my voice and you don't know Jesus, let me just tell you, he loves you. He died for you. He rose again for you. You can only come to Christ through him. But the people of God have reason to rejoice, but especially when things are good. Church at Tower View, let me just take a word. We've mentioned this before. Offerings are at almost record levels right now. There's construction going on in our building. We are trying to reach our neighborhood. People are coming uh, to hear the gospel. We're, we're seeing people online we've never seen before. You all are sharing stories of how God is growing you. God has put his hand of blessing on our church right now. That's another reason we sing for joy. We know, though, this, that Christ is coming. That is the greatest joy we have. This week, we kind of ended our last week with our kids. We started a uh, daily uh, new Bible study with them, or almost daily Bible study with them last year. We're, we're in Jesus Returning was this week. And they always have lots of cool questions about heaven and this and heaven and that. But the end of the story is this. We win. Satan doesn't. The victory has been won. It's done. If there is any motivation you need to sing joyfully, it's this that God has won. And did you notice that it was heard far away? Isn't that awesome? Well, let's just buy the biggest speakers ever and drown out our neighborhood. I don't think that's what it's singing or saying. But they were so joyful that people looked at them and heard them, and those enemies who had tried everything in the book to get them to stop could no longer stop them because God was behind them, and their joy was complete. We should be motivated knowing there is a listening world, church. And this listening world Sometimes we have sour-faced, gloomy, sour-puss Christians who are not good examples of this. It doesn't mean you have to fake a church smile. It doesn't mean you have to wear a mask, literal or figurative. But it means our lives should be marked by joy. I struggle with that at times. I'm a half-glass, empty kind of guy with life. Most of y'all are. If things don't go my way, I get mad. My wife and I are watching Amazing Race. We like that show. And some of the people who you think are the most stable people, like nurses and doctors, uh, are some of the people who whine the most. When you get people out of their element, it's amazing to see what they really are. Christians, God gave them joy. Why should you rejoice? Because that God has given you more than you ever need in Christ. Amen? And that's what we have. They gave their lives. They gave their praise. Finally, they gave their goods to God. They gave their goods to God. Look at the last part of chapter 12, and this goes without saying. You notice that in verse 44, on the day the men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the tithes, all these things, they performed the service, verse 45, of their God and the service of purification. For long ago in the days of David, there were songs of praise. I'm skipping down to verse 47, and Nehemiah gave daily portions. The people start bringing their praise to God and giving. Haven't we noticed this several times? We give our life to God. Most will agree with that. We give our praise to God. Most will agree with that. But most will not agree that to give generously because it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. After all this toil on the wall, after all the opposition and all the work they've done, they didn't just close the book and say, man, wasn't that fun. They said that's not how we live. 
They looked around at what God had given them, and they gave their whole lives to God. Whatever he wanted, they did. They gave their praise to God. God, whatever you want, I'm going to praise you. But they gave their stuff to God, their goods to God. And this is how the kingdom of God moves forward, guys. We're at a church where we mentioned to you that some of the giving has transferred. We used to support a missionary couple, and you know their names. We're online. I'm not going to mention names, but one missionary couple is back stateside, and others are at the place where they're at. And the guy, the couple we used to support stateside, uh, who's back stateside, said on Facebook when we posted about our, our generous giving to the couple we're now giving to our members, he said, isn't that cool? how God, there was no fighting over this. There was no, uh, well, we could use that money to buy a new toilet in the bathroom. You know, things that come up, needs, right? He said, it's cool because I used to get that money and now God, we don't need that. And it went right away to people who do and right away God used that money. Thank you, Tower View, for letting that be possible. How cool that is. But this is how the kingdom of God moves forward. Richard and I were studying last Monday about Ananias and Sapphira, and we were trying to dissect this in Acts chapter 5. Did they know? How much did they really give? Do you remember that story? Everyone was selling everything. They were selling their land and their property and everything, and Ananias and Sapphira, we don't really know all the details, but the, the short of it is they didn't give all that they were supposed to. They Appearance-wise, they gave a lot, but they held back a little bit. And what happened to both of them? I just hate to be those young men who had to carry him out because that'd be the most scary part. Is that going to be me next? Let me be clear. We're not asking that you give all your life savings to the church or anything. We're not Mormons in that sense. But does God have control over your checkbook? Does God have control over what you own? Are you using it for his glory? If we don't live for the kingdom, we will live for the king, Caesar. We have to keep yielding our lives to God. Have you asked God, Lord, are my goods under your control as well? I mean, really, is your smartphone used for the glory of God? Is your computer used for the glory of God? Is your car, your tools used for the glory of God? Whatever your stuff is, is it for God's glory this morning? Friend, that's a question I have for you. Have you given everything you are to God like these people? Time passes quickly, doesn't it? It's hard to believe it's been a year since COVID started, but time passes quickly quickly. The next time we're wondering whether to be generous to the church or a Christian organization or missionaries, we need to think about our shrinking bank accounts against the Lord's treasury. God does provide. And just like these people so long ago, let us remember this, that God has been preparing our lives for these hard times we're living in. God knew what you would need in these times. We're more ready than we feel, and by his grace, we will take one brave step after another. We are praying together. We're going to stick together. And if we do the basics well, we will do well together. I don't know what the next step is with masks and all that stuff and vaccines, blah, 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 blah. But I know this. The kingdom of God is not restricted by anything. Even if we fall under and, and follow those things as we should to a degree, may God be glorified. Church, Tower View is in a unique position right now to see a gospel revival within our neighborhood. You keep praying for that. Because I pray one day that what we see here in Nehemiah 11 and Nehemiah 12 is exactly what happens within our church walls. And drive in church and online too, whatever it is, right? Talk to a brother pastor this week who is uh, ready to throw in the towel. 
He said, our church is doing great, actually. It's nothing against the church, but this period has left me utterly exhausted. No, I'm not referring third party to myself. I'm speaking of someone, names don't matter, situation, context doesn't matter. He said, I'm ready to quit. I have no desire to do this any longer. I said, why? What? Is, I mean, if everything's going well. I mean, this should be, he said, because there are some people within the church that are more focused on, I'm going to fight this mask thing, whether I wear a mask, don't wear a mask, I'm going to fight, get this vaccine, don't get this vaccine. They're all focused on all this cultural stuff, and they've lost the gospel, and it's utterly one made me to quit. I'm, I'm a step away from doing it, so help me God. Friends, these people weren't fighting over things. They just said willingly, Lord, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, no matter what it wants to look like, sign me up, coach, put me in. Church, that needs to be our attitude. You pray for that brother pastor. God knows the name and details. But I'm thankful that we have a church. Now, we have disagreements on things, but I'm thankful our church, by his grace, wants a laser focus on seeing people in Christ grow and seeing people without Christ know him. May we never lose that. May our lives, our goods, and our praise always be to that man. Let's close it out together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunities we have to come together. Father, as we look at these people and the joy they expressed and the praise they brought and the willingness they were to go wherever and do whatever you said and the resources they wanted to give no matter what the cost, we are hopefully challenged by that. Father, we know that uh, we are to take care of our families. We know that, Lord, we are to enjoy the blessings that you've given. Lord, this isn't a call to uh, a vow of poverty necessarily. This isn't a call to, 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 to cash in everything and give it in. Lord, if you lead someone that way, then may you bless them in, in their endeavors. But Lord, through the, the, the places you've put us in, through the opportunities you've given us, the jobs we have, the retirements we have, the things that you've afforded us in our lives, may we be good stewards of it for your glory. Father, that is our prayer, just as these people were. I cannot imagine what it must have been like to be one of those 10 people to be selected. It almost sounds like a death sentence, but they willingly went. Father, wherever you call us to go, may we go faithfully, may we go willingly. And even if we drag our feet at times, Lord, thank you that by your grace, you pull us along. And we thank you for that. Father, be with our church as we close on this dreary, makes me want to go to sleep kind of day. Your praise is always on our lips, Lord, because you've given us the greatest hope we have. And his name is Jesus, in whose name we pray.